This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. My name is Moore Soller, and today I'm joined by Dr. Zia Borak, Michael Beers, and Bayun Zhao, who are the authors of today's article for discussion, GRP78 loss in epithelial progenitors reveals an age-linked role for endoplasmic reticulum stress in pulmonary fibrosis. Dr. Borak is the Ralph Edgington Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Keck School of Medicine. Dr. Beers is a Professor of Medicine at Perlin School of Medicine, Dr. Zhao is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Keck School of Medicine. We've also invited Dr. Jonathan Kropsky, who's an Assistant Professor at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, who is also the author of the company editorial. Thank you all for joining us today. So Dr. Bork, tell us a little bit about the pathogenesis of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So as many of you are aware, um, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis or IPF is a progressive disorder of unknown etiology. Um, that's characterized by alveolar epithelial cell injury, accumulation of fibroblasts and myofibroblasts, as well as extracellular matrix deposition, leading to architectural distortion and impairment of gas exchange. And for many years, it was viewed as being caused by inflammation. Um, but a more recent paradigm has emerged where chronic or recurrent epithelial injury and dysregulated repair mechanisms are now implicated in disease pathogenesis. But I think that the underlying mechanisms and the mechanisms responsible for the epithelial injury have not been fully elucidated to date. The other important thing about the disease is that I think um, increasingly it's being recognized as a disease of aging uh, more occurring more commonly in individuals older than 60 and um, even though it seems obvious now i think 10 or 15 years ago it wasn't that apparent so um, another question is the contribution of aging to um, the pathogenesis of the disease so one type of epithelial injury that's been implicated is endoplasmic reticular stress Do dr beers what is endoplasmic reticular stress ER stress um, is a aberration of the of the quality control system of, of any really any cell in the body, and so basically, the you know, cells are constantly making proteins, constantly secreting proteins, and and in that sort of framework, there has to be a way to actually sort of proofread this and make sure that what you're making, what you're secreting, is actually um, you know sort of matches up to to what the genetic code was, and so um, so there's multiple different what I call quality control uh, pathways, you know, in, in cells. And they include things like macroautophagy and the unfolded protein response. Now the UPR, which is really the, the subject of, of this man manuscript and this paper is um, based in the fact that we have sensors in the endoplasmic reticulum where all the proteins are sort of made as, as, as pro-proteins and then, and then processed, you know, for delivery for secretion. And when um, when cells actually sense that proteins have gone awry in, you know, due to a dis disorder in the genetic code, they'll actually um, basically do proofreading. And they'll proofread this with a series of, of proteins called chaperones um, and, and, other, um, and other folding molecules to try to affect um, a correction of this. So the, so the UPR 
when it goes awry or when there's prolonged uh, signaling from the UPI will create something called ER stress. And then that leads to a whole cascade of downstream events and everything from pro-inflammatory signaling to the elaboration of pro-fibrotic molecules. So it's a perfect setup um, to have the epithelium in the lung, you know, sort of a victim of, of this process. And then, and, and it's a very upstream process that could then drive sort of downstream pathogenesis. Dr. Krafsky, what is the evidence that there is ER stress uh, and that it contributes to the pathogenesis of IPF? So the earliest evidence that started to link ER stress to the pathogenesis of interstitial lung disease came from a really seminal observation um, that was published in the New England Journal in 2001 by uh, Larry Nogi and others that identified a mutation in the gene encoding for, the, for surfactant protein C. And what work from, from several groups showed subsequently was that this mutation in surfactant protein C, um, which led to a, a deletion in the, uh, in the propeptide that led to its misfolding and mistrafficking and, and subsequently shown that, that that activates the unfolded protein response. And so, um, so that was a, originally a description in a mother in a child with a familial form of interstitial lung disease but um, work from, from multiple groups through time have shown now that there are also mutations in surfactant protein C and other surfactant proteins, in particular surfactant protein A2, um, that have been associated with pulmonary fibrosis in families. So there's compelling genetic evidence that links these mutations that we know can cause ER stress to, uh, to IPF. But it, it also appears that this is not a cellular phenotype that's restricted to a rare genetic form of disease. And work from, from several groups, including um, William Lawson here a number of years ago, Martina Corfi and Andreas Gunter and others, um, have shown that um, there's increased expression either by protein or by mRNA or by immunostaining of markers of the unfolded protein response in the lung epithelium in, in almost all IPF lungs that have been examined. And so there, there are a number of hypotheses as to what could be causing ER stress in the lung epithelium in IPF and in people who don't have known surfactant protein mutations. And, and among the things that have been associated with ER stress in vitro uh, include cigarette smoke or viral infections or even regional changes in oxygen tension, which may lead to metabolic changes. And, and even more recently, um, there, there's a suggestion that the MUC5B promoter polymorphism may also lead to, which is a large glycosylated protein that requires uh, a lot of um, post-translational work, overexpression of that in the lung epithelium can, can also lead to an ER stress response. So there's multiple lines of evidence that suggest that this is really a common, um, if not ubiquitous, cellular phenotype in IPF lung epithelium. Dr. Boric, in your manuscript, you sought to understand the role of endoplasmic reticular stress in the pathogenesis of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis using a novel animal model disease. So uh, tell us a little bit of uh, what you did and why you did it. So we wanted to create a model of more generalized ER stress, and we wanted it to be restricted to the distal lung epithelium. Um, GRP78 is an ER chaperone and master regulator of ER stress um, in all cells. And um, we decided as a, our approach to delete 
GRP78 in specifically in the epithelium using an SPC Cree uh, driver in order to do that. Um, with the notion that knocking out GRP78, which is normally upregulated in the uh, presence of ER stress or, or external stresses, would create a situation of ER stress. And in fact, that is what we found. We did it with two different approaches. Um, we used uh, both a heterozygous and a homozygous SPC Cre to drive the deletion and found very similar results with both. And in some cases, especially to look at um, the fate of the cells that were in which GRP78 was deleted also had a ROSA reporter um, to be able to trace the cells. So the lungs of these mice were examined by regular histology, examined for um, fibrosis by trichrome and serious red staining, as well as immunofluorescence. And we also isolated the type 2 cells from these mice to um, look at various aspects and see how the knockout affected them. Um, encouragingly, um, we did see ER stress in the, in the cells, so knockout of GRP78 did in fact um, do that. It was a little bit of a challenging model um, because, you know, it's one of those of the Goldilocks effect that um, if we didn't delete uh, enough um, and, and, and didn't see more than 10% weight loss in the mice, we didn't see much of a phenotype. And if there was more than 30% weight loss, um, which was really stretching the limits of the Iacook to do that, then the animals died of acute injury. So we needed to have a sweet spot to actually be able to examine them. So within that range of weight loss, we did see fibrosis that came on within two weeks of deletion of GRP78, which was characterized by um, spatially heterogeneous areas of parenchymal remodeling with interestingly subpleural predominance, um, expansion of mesenchymal cells, increased alveolar wall thickness, and areas resembling fibroblastic foci with hyperplastic epithelial cells, overlying aggregates of alpha smooth muscle actin positive cells. And um, we were careful to call them um, like fibroblastic foci, but they certainly look that way histologically. Um, when we used the reporter, we also saw clusters of um, tomato expressing cells, expressing surfactant protein, and also some expressing aquaporin-5, suggesting that labeled type 2 cells were giving rise to additional type 2 cells and also um, type 1 cells. The trichrome and serious red staining showed increased collagen deposition. There was about a 20% decrease in lung compliance. And in more severely injured mice, the fibrosis persisted at three months. Um, and we also found that the aged mice appeared to be more susceptible to fibrosis. So Dr. Zhao, it, it sounds like uh, the GRP78 deficient mouse was more susceptible to fibrosis. What did you find in the type 2 cells specifically? Uh, the type 2 cells, we isolated uh, type 2 cells from GRP78 knockout mice. And we found the cells not only uh, show there's an uh, expression of ER stress markers. This uh, knockout type 2 cells also undergo apoptosis and uh, senescence. We have, for the apoptosis, we have the Western, blot, um, Western blotting showing the uh, Caspase 3, cleaved Caspase 3 increase, 
And we also have panel essay show that. And for the citizens, Western blotting showing the markers for the uh, citizens P53, gamma H2A, and P21 increase. And we also have the beta gale staining show that. And uh, additionally, we did uh, the arnesic, uh, which showing the bunch of genes involved in senescence uh, associated the secretory phenotype, the gene up in knockout uh, type 2 cells. And also, we found that the type 2 cell, uh, they uh, impaired uh, type 2 cell stem cell capability by uh, performing the metrogel 3D culture. We found that the uh, colony formation efficiency is very low in knockout type 2 cells. So, so these GRP78 deficient mice not only had more, or were not only more susceptible to fibrosis, but they also had increased cellular senescence and apoptosis. Uh, Dr. Kropsky, can you tell us a little bit about what cellular senescence and apoptosis are and how they might uh, be involved in the pathogenesis of IPF? The classical description of senescence um, is a phenomenon that occurs when a cell replicates, um, and during each successive round of cell replication, there's progressive attrition of the telomeres, which are caps that, that live on the ends of chromosomes. And, and the telomeres protect our chromosomes from being recognized as, as double-stranded DNA breaks and, and continuously activating DNA damage-related signaling. So um, senescence is, is a phenotype that has classically been described as what happens when telomeres get so short that a cell is no longer able to divide. And so when that happens, it activates a, a specific uh, molecular program wherein um, cells maintain viability, alter their secretory phenotype, alter some of their cell cycle checkpoint regulatory proteins, um, but, but they remain alive. In contrast, apoptosis is, is, is programmed cell death. And I think a question that has really remained um, unresolved in, in the context of pulmonary fibrosis is um, uh, epithelial cells can respond to injury by repairing properly, by adopting a senescent phenotype, or by dying, by undergoing apoptosis. And, and there are other mechanisms of cell death as well. But what is it that really regulates how a given cell in, in the lung epithelium responds to injury, whether that's by dying, whether that's by senescing, or or by repairing is, is not that well understood. And I think that's an area that there's, there's need for further work to try to tease that out. Uh, so Dr. Bark, how do you view the role of senescence and apoptosis in the pathogenesis of IPF? So I think that's a great question. And to follow on from what Dr. Krofsky said, I think we need to be doing a lot more in that area because I don't think we fully understand that. Um, I don't think we fully understand which cells undergo apoptosis, which undergo senescence, um, whether it relates somehow to the stage of the cell cycle that they're in when whatever injury occurs. And I don't think we fully understand how apoptosis or senescence actually uh, fully contribute to the fibrotic phenotype. I know that um, you know, in one, if cells have evidence of the um, CESP, they are known to secrete um, various pro-inflammatory um, mediators, which is similar to what we saw in um, our manuscript, and as well as pro-fibrotic mediators. But I don't think we're sure if that's the full story. 
And there are also, there's also data out there suggesting that senescent cells um, can actually influence cells surrounding them as well. So um, I think there's probably a lot more work to be done to understand the relative contributions of each process to fibrosis, both in terms of impacting epithelial repair and as well as creating a prophybiotic environment. Um, to follow up on, on Dr. Borak, I just wanted to, to extend that a, a little bit further and say that one of the things that, that I think we don't understand and need to is whether senescence in the lung epithelium, when we see it, if that's a replication-mediated telomere attrition-driven phenotype that would suggest progenitor cell exhaustion, or is that, is that a cell state that can be adopted through non-replicative mechanisms? And, and sort of the corollary to that is then, is that a permanent cell state, or is what we call senescence really just one of many different states or phenotypes that, that epithelial cells adopt at different points in their lives, but may not be a necessarily um, permanent or, or irreversible state. Yeah, I, I would agree with, with what you guys are saying. I think that the, the, the real part of the real debate is that the AT2 cell, the alveolar type 2 cell, is really thought to be a progenitor cell. There's very good work supporting its role in injury repair. And so the question is, do you get to this, this state of either stem cell exhaustion or even just frank stem cell depletion? Even that data is controversial. So you can design genetic mouse models to remove you know, um, you know, the alveolar type 2 cell. And it's only when you get to be way up there in the 50, 60, 70 percent you know, deletion range of these cells that you then can get spontaneous fibrosis. And that's been shown by several groups, but it's, it remains a controversial topic. And at the same time, is that, you know, is it better to have apoptotic cells or is it better to have senescent cells secreting all of these different factors? And then I would submit that there are some cells that are neither senescent or apoptotic, they're just stressed, and they're also subjected to this. But, and I think the point is, is that these cells in the pathogenesis, they're very, very, very upstream, you know, in the, in the, in the whole scheme. And, and we know that this is, you know, this, there's gotta be something up there because all we've been doing is pouring antifibrotics you know, downstream, way, way downstream is the fibroblast and the matrix deposition in this. And we pour these drugs in and we really haven't even stabilized lung function. So I think that, you know, to, to Dr. Bork's point and Dr. Krofsky's point, if you can actually, you know, design a system where you can actually look at the upstream effects of this and how intervening upstream, and since IPF is a temporally and spatially heterogeneous disease, there's going to be areas in the lung that seemingly are unaffected histologically, but are probably ripe, you know, for therapeutics. So, so speaking of therapeutics, uh, in your manuscript, uh, there was a therapeutic intervention that was able to decrease fibrosis in a mouse. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? So, yes, we um, uh, using the uh, Tadaka uh, as a uh, ESGS inhibitor uh, to test whether it can alleviate the ESGS and also fibrosis in our model. So, Tadaka is a chemical uh, uh, shipping protein, it's a non uh, ESGS inhibitor. Now, this uh, molecule actually is um, uh, uh, what's called um, tolerant uh, conjugated form of uh, Udaca, which is a FDA approved drug uh, treated for uh, liver disease. So, we're using an ex vivo uh, coach model. 
we isolate the uh, fibrotic lung from our knockout mice uh, at uh, two weeks following Tamoxifen uh, administration, which shows there's more than 10% weight loss. So we sliced the lung and did the ex vivo culture for five days and treat with TADAC. What we showed is uh, after TADAC treatment, the yeah, stress marker expression go down and the apoptosis marker, senescence marker and the mesenchymal marker all uh, reduced. And uh, we did the same similar experiment for the IPF line. We did the ex vivo culture and uh, found the uh, similar result. So our data strongly suggests that uh, inhibit the ER stress uh, signaling can alleviate, uh, reduce the uh, lung fibrosis. So Dr. Beers, you, you've done a lot of work with ER stress and, and pulmonary fibrosis. How does this model compare to other studies out there? So this, this model, I think, you know, fits very nicely into this concept of disrupted quality control. And I think that you, know, you can start to think about IPF as a disease of epithelial quality control. So Dr. Krofsky, for example, mentioned you know, telomere shortening. Well, there's, there's, there's mouse models out there and there, there are obviously patients with, you know, telomerase and other um, enzyme deficiencies in, in, that actually go on to get premature aging of the lung and they will invariably get pulmonary fibrosis. Um, and so, so there, there's another example of quality control. In this case, it happens to be sort of nuclear, you know, quality control, DNA quality control. On the other hand, um, you know, we and others have made some mouse models of the surfactant protein mutations Again, as he mentioned, um, you know, which are associated with, you know, with IPF in adults, but also have, have application to children's interstitial lung disease um, as well, as he mentioned from the cases from what Dr. Nogi had published almost 20 years ago now. And those models, um, we, we've created two types of models, one which induce classic ER stress, and we see many of the same things, many of the same signals. Um, but we are now stimulating this by creating expression of a misfolded protein and then triggering the system as opposed to taking out a primary chaperone. Um, but you can also um, mess with the quality control in a different way. And that is you can also, um, just like with cystic fibrosis, the CFTR mutations or other classes of mutations will, will induce mistrafficking and, and can um, alter some of the other quality control mechanisms, as I mentioned, macroautophagy, for example. And I should say that you can also, in addition to ER stress signals, in the IPF lung, in the, in, the, in the sporadic IPF lung, you can also find evidence for disruption of, of macroautophagy. So, so I think that you can find you know, telomere issues, you can find macroautophagy issues, and you can find ER stress with all these models. But the, the exciting thing is that they then seem to converge along a common path of, of remodeling and being driven upstream by the epithelium, but also all producing um, in an age-dependent fashion various changes in, in aberrant lung remodeling, you know, that's sort of getting us close to what looks like an IPF lung, but we're really not, really not supposed to call it that yet. But I think it creates uh, ways now to interrogate pathways to look for, for new therapeutics. So Dr. Bark, you found something really interesting uh, when you used older mice. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So we um, purposely compared um, older and younger mice, given that, as I mentioned at the beginning, IPF is a disease of aging, and we found that um, older mice were much more susceptible to ER stress, and we required much um, lower doses of um, tamoxifen to actually 
get a similar response in the older mice, um, suggesting that they're really more sensitive to ER stress-mediated fibrosis with really dramatic differences between the old and young mice at the doses that we used that were effective in the older mice, we didn't see anything in the younger mice. And these um, amounts were very much lower, less than half of what we were using uh, for the young mice. Um, in addition, we did look at um, GRP78 expression in, the, in old versus young mice and found that um, it was somewhat reduced at the protein level um, in older mice, as well as, and I know this is a bit controversial given some other papers out there, reduced in IPF lung compared to normal. So there definitely does seem to be, um, aging does seem to be a factor in the susceptibility of the lung epithelium to ER stress and resulting fibrosis. And that's, that's a great point, Zia, because um, in, in all of our mouse models, and it's a cautionary tale for the entire field that, that you know, at, at eight to 10 weeks of age of a mouse, that's, that probably correlates to about a 16-year-old teenager. And even some people that used aged mice out to six months, it's probably about a 35 to 40-year-old person. And so, so a lot of what we're modeling is not classically diseases of aging that we're, that we're seeing in, you know, in our adult patients, but we're really looking at adolescent and pediatric uh, responses, which, as everyone knows, will, will, will be very much different than, than in the older adult. And so, so one of the future directions that we all have to think about is how we're going to actually you know, make and pay for older colonies of mice to try to grapple with some of these things. And it's not just ER stress, it's, it's mitochondrial biogenesis, mitochondrial dynamics, telomere length, and all of these things in terms of cellular quality control obviously run down with aging. It's just like with Alzheimer's disease you know, in the brain, that, that basically you get the tangles as you get older because your quality control is probably getting worse. Uh, so Dr. Kropsky, what do you think are the implications of this uh, paper and uh, where is the field gonna go next? So I, I think that there are several aspects of, of this paper that are, are really important for us all to take to heart. Um, one is that this, this is a new model um, that provides the opportunity to, as, as Dr. Beers alluded to, really do some, some careful mechanistic understanding of, of the events involved in initiation and propagation of, of lung fibrosis. And I, I think that there's emerging evidence that suggests that these mechanisms that are involved in the early stages of disease may not be the same ones that are at play in, in late stage disease. And from a therapeutic perspective, we, we probably need to be targeting both of those and, and they probably aren't going to be targeted through the same molecules um, in order to really make a difference for patients with IPF. Um, the second thing that uh, I think this paper really highlights is that um, I think the studies that were performed using these therapeutic interventions provide uh, a really strong suggestion that there is an active role that the lung epithelium plays in perpetuating and, and mediating this persistence of, of fibroblast activation and persistence of fibrosis. So these interventions, whether it's TUDCA to reduce ER stress or DQ, which um, was designed to eliminate some of these senescent cells, in both instances, by altering the epithelial phenotype, they were able to transmit changes 
to the mesenchymal cells that, that reduced production of profibrotic mediators and things like that, which gives, gives I think, me, me reason to be optimistic that therapies designed at, at improving epithelial homeostasis could have impacts um, on, on fundamental mechanisms of, of disease progression. Um, the, the last point that I, I just would like to make is that um, the focus of this manuscript was the lung epithelium and understanding senescence and ER stress in the lung epithelium. But there's also a, a rather abundant body of work that suggests that fibroblasts also, um, at least some fibroblasts, um, have a senescent phenotype as well and, and failure of those fibroblasts to, um, to, to either apoptose or failure of them to, to phenotype shift back into more homeostatic conditions also likely plays a role in disease. And so um, this is really a, a pathway that, that seems very central to pulmonary fibrosis and um, is an area that the field uh, is going to be highly focused on in the coming years. And to add to um, John's uh, comment, I'd, I'd like to make one comment is that, you know, one of the challenges therapeutically in IPF, at least in my mind, has been that sometimes what's good for the epithelium is bad for the fibroblasts and vice versa. So examples of that would be, I don't know, wind signaling and others where inhibiting it in one cell type um, would allow the other cell type to then proliferate and take over. Um, attacking senescence might actually be good for both cell types because um, it seems to perhaps play different roles in both of the cell types with different downstream consequences. So that is actually one of its um, appealing uh, factors is that it may be beneficial to both cell types that we feel are involved in the process. Well, thank you all for joining us today on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure having you all. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. To read the article discussed in the podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. Thank you for listening and have a great day.